Hey you, it's your host, Sharon Lin, and welcome back to Last Debatable. This is a show where we bring you different takes on debatable topics, big or small, serious or silly, and many times a mixture of many things. Today, I have a very special guest in the studio. He's a marine biologist. That's welcome, Dr. Aziz J. Mula. Hi. So today, we're going to talk about the huge topic of how are humans impacting the ocean. So as a marine biologist, would you say that human activities have a great impact on the ocean? Hugely, yeah. hugely. We are never that far away from from the ocean. There's reasons for that um, in terms of trade. Major cities are built along the ocean, uh, so our impact on it is already um, a kind of big pressure uh, there. It's it's huge already. But more recently, uh, over a few hundred years, um, it's increased substantially. So yeah, we have a massive direct effect on on the ocean for many people whether for whatever reasons that they feel that well how well the ocean is doing has little or nothing to do with me i think it's mostly coming from ignorance that's break down some things that people would do in their everyday life that actually has a huge impact so think about food and fishing how is fishing especially overfishing impacting the ocean right now so we have a lot of examples of this, of unsustainable fishing from around the world. Uh, we have very famous examples from the North uh, Sea. Obviously, I, I grew up in the UK, so I guess that's kind of where I jumped to, of where we really depleted stocks of fish over long periods of time, not just the UK, but countries around there too. And we kind of got together and said, this isn't sustainable. This isn't going to work out. We're just going to deplete a stock, go on to the next one, deplete it. Um, so we have to kind of look at what types of fish we are eating at where do they come from are they sustainably sourced and things like that um i'm not a, a, an advocate of of not eating fish or, or meat or anything mm-hmm. like that uh, but it has to be done in, in 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 a way which is sustainable and what we have to realize is that sustainability will benefit us in in the, in the long term um in terms of the fishing industry itself, Taiwan's in a pretty unique position. I just read the other day, actually, China and Taiwan together make up 60% of all international fishing, which is a pretty shocker of a, of a yeah. figure. I think Taiwan's the second largest fleet uh, for international water, water fishing. Who is the largest? China. Uh, China is, yeah. You know, this is um, a kind of real big issue for Taiwan, obviously a very big fishing nation where we have to communicate and be considerate to this industry that has thrived for a long time for long-term prosperity. And it's a difficult one to, to do. I have a colleague in, in Keelung who does this a lot and she has a lot of patience uh, to, to do it. Um, but it's something which definitely will benefit us as we as our economy in Taiwan changes and diversifies away from these industries, it will also help keep these industries alive if we do it sustainably. And I'm really curious, I think one thing that I, from from what I read, the idea, not the idea, the fact of like a marine food web, it, it's a very important, I would say, concept that is very helpful for people to know. For you, how would you introduce a marine food web con- concept? So it's about connection. And, yeah. and everything in the ocean is connected. Yeah. And then we have things have on say the... say that again. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have things on the outside yeah. uh, which are perturbing it, which are disturbing it. So so a lot of things can disrupt the food web. We want to keep this in a kind of equilibrium and corals are the foundational species of this. So corals we see along the sea floor and building up from that, they give things a home and shelter, but they also provide a source of food for, for organisms. And the mm. fish and the, the shrimp that rely on this, they're also eaten by 
by you know a predator of their own so a larger fish and then they're eaten by predator and this food web works all the way up to an apex predator you know we think of apex predators maybe a shark or something like that um and it's a balance that's the kind of key term it's a balance of these connections that the top predator there are far few of them compared to the foundational species and they're keeping a balance in check and when once that balance is kind of tipped to one side there's problems and mm. those problems uh, we still actually don't really know how to deal with them as well our role in the food web is we're, we're very much outside of it we're on top of, yeah. of everything and we have that ability to control it but it's the environmental side of it that we're touching mm. too much which is now affecting these these food webs really i, I really hope more people know that everything is connected yeah and are there any suggestions that you would say, especially, for example, I'm thinking about teachers, how could they really help younger students to raise the awareness that what you do every day as a human really is impacting the world that you're living in? Track where your toilet water goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. a pretty easy one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Would you, uh, um, elaborate you know, a little bit more. I, I have a few friends who work in forest ecology and terrestrial ecology, and I love speaking with them because we usually end up at the same point. Um, oh, okay. when you're in our conversations so just after typhoons i love speaking to forest ecologists about what the impact of the typhoon was on the forest and then the same with me and we usually end up in the same point of oh actually they've the typhoons affected our ecosystems in a very similar way um, and it's because they're connected they have a very clear-cut connection when you live in a country where you have mountain peaks where the, the rain falls off it's only going to go one place and that's into the ocean so everything with that on the land goes back in so if we were to talk about like younger people uh, younger uh, ch children for example or school students um, who already have very creative passions already mm. especially when in terms of natural environment um, the truth helps, first of all, that we are doing a, a kind of helps. bad job at the moment, uh, but to teach them where their waste goes, uh, where these waste products go, mm. what happens, what's the consequence of you, um, you know, eating unsustainable fish and things like that. Yeah, and, and also it reminds me of a point that, okay, I feel like let's talk about trash and mm -hmm. especially how marine debris travel. I feel like for people, just picture when, whenever you go to almost unfortunately almost any beach say mm -hmm. in taiwan or anywhere else it's not too uncommon that you see trash just mm -hmm. like piling up from what i read there are 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic debris in the ocean right now mm -hmm. and i think this is number wise it's already it, it's you know things are not going so well but as a marine biologist could you share with us briefly how do marine debris travel and basically how do all the trash we produce end up in the ocean so uh first first point is this this runoff so you know anything from the land will eventually end up in the ocean due to our, our horrendously torrential rain in taiwan that we always get that's always going to go back into the ocean um that's that's kind of one way things get in another way is you know uh, direct from humans people leaving trash there mm -hmm. uh, spillages uh, etc yeah. um and you know it's difficult to understand why people would do that of course but there are other situations where this occurs it's not only in taiwan and, and this is kind of important for our region as well ocean currents carry things yeah, around the world mm. everywhere so you know when i dive i actually rarely find much trash from 
Taiwan directly. A lot of it is from China, a lot of it's from the Philippines, a lot is from Japan, and I'm so sure if we were diving in those places, we would find things from Taiwan as well. They get mixed in together. Personally, I've, I've done over a thousand dives now in Taiwan, and I've never seen a plastic straw along a coral reef, but what I have seen is Coca-Cola bottles, chip packets, uh, cigarette buds, all of these things. So I think we need to be thinking about what we actually need to get rid of. Plastic straws was a fantastic thing to get rid of, uh, for, for sure, uh, but we, we can always do more. In terms of marine debris, it's really dangerous, um, actually. The chemicals that come off, especially plastic, oh, seep yeah. into the ocean. Horrible. They don't disappear. Um, plastic itself doesn't disappear too, and they're always going to end up on a beach. Even the most pristine beaches in Taiwan, especially some around Penghu. I remember as I, we were approaching, I was like, oh my god, the, the beach is so nice and white. It was actually piles of plastic. Oh, <laughs> um, no. I thought they were sandy beaches, but they weren't. No, so and we need to, you know, it's very easy for us to point fingers. That's the first thing. It's very easy, but who we point fingers at has real big effects. And I think a lot of the mm. people in Taiwan kind of point the fingers at themselves. Whereas if we look at it from a top-down approach, certain companies are producing this uh, trash. And we, we are the ones using it, for sure, but it's the production of it which mm. needs to be curtailed completely because we, we, we live in a world where we actually don't need it that much. And I, I do, you know, go down the line of we need to be real. If we're going to do something, we're going to do it well. Um, and banning kind of one type of plastic isn't, gonna make a, a world of difference which mm. we want to do yeah how do we even start off how could we really like fix and solve the problem cooperation and... that's what it is we need to okay. cooperate with countries around us whether mm. it be china south korea japan cooperate um there was an mou signed with japan about marine debris but japan and taiwan mm. are not going to solve it by themselves look at where we are we're in the middle of an ocean current between the philippines china vietnam uh, indonesia uh, japan mm. and the trash is going to come here, mm, of course. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're the kind of hole in the middle. Yeah. So, you know, if we want to solve this, we need to solve it together. I feel like every individual, the awareness that people could have is very important, especially you touch on, you know, for younger children, but also, as you mentioned, like big corporations, big mm -hmm. businesses, they, they, they are so mighty. And mm -hmm. what they do has so much impact yes. on the ocean, for example. And I'm curious, uh, among the discussions in, in your whether it's on your team or with your fellow colleagues, what's the discussion like that you feel for bigger businesses? What are some things that, that are really dire and they're simply just not doing it well or not doing it at all? In, in Taiwan, uh, same with South Korea, we do have a number of industries that have a lot of power. They have a lot of push uh, in mm. terms of government policy. So let's kind of deal with that first. So we have a number of companies who are producing this, who are degrading the environment that, they're putting economic growth of their own company over the prosperity of people living in the country. Um, that needs to be uh, controlled. How do we control that? Well, we're a democracy. We live in a, a, in a thriving democracy, actually. Um, so we can change that through policy. Um, and the government are not doing enough. They are not doing enough. That, that's, it. that's it. That's the, that's mm. the kind of point. We need policy that is effective, not policy that greenwashes mm. ideas or makes people happy for a, a certain amount of time. If we want to enact a good change, we mm. need good, sound policy. And sometimes that does mean being radical, uh, but radical doesn't mean economic 
loss at all、mm. if anything it means economic growth and it's been proven time and time again in a lot of countries in europe for example and is there a good example from countries that you read about this that you'd like to mention so in terms of marine debris um You know, countries around us are doing a lot as as well. The Philippines they effectively closed one of the islands, Boracay,、um, and said、uh-huh. this economic growth that we have. They were thriving、uh, tourist destination. They said it is not worth it to destroy、mm-hmm. an environment.、Um, it would be a fantastic thing to do in places like Chaliocho. Just close it for a year, clean it up, regulate the、Let、number of、breathe. people going there.、Um, Lanyu, you know, when I first started going going to Lanyu. Uh, once a year, I think it was around a hundred thousand people going. Last year, it was around three hundred thousand people going. That's an incredible pressure、yeah. on the island.、Uh, yeah. Regulation is really important in terms of our environment as a whole.、Uh, one of the Best examples in the world、um, is the Netherlands、uh, in terms of, and I'm I'm really biased here because I'm a big cyclist. <laughs> yeah, but feel free to yeah share with us. I'm a big、thoughts. cyclist, but、um, they, you know, 1970s in the Netherlands, it was like Taiwan is now, and、uh, in terms of Um, road safety, you know, it was. Oh、uh, yeah, just big you know, topic. Yeah, three thousand people dying a year in Taiwan. It was exactly the same number in the Netherlands in the nineteen seventies, and the government just said. It's too much. It's、mm. too much. We've got to change this. And now they are a huge cycling nation.、Uh, their emissions are extremely low per per capita,、um, and a lot of people say, "Well, this can't be done in Taiwan." Of course it can. Of course it can.、Um, it, anything can、Let's、be, be done here. Yeah, of course it can. <laughs>、yeah. um, it just takes. Um, this action it takes policy, it takes brave people, and I really feel like younger generations in Taiwan will take this as their own. And, and like we saw a couple of weeks ago with a protest about it,、um, will take it into their own hands. And we we have to remember that in Taiwan, people describe Taiwan as a young democracy. I don't really see it as a young democracy. We are a democracy. Doesn't really matter if we're younger and old.、Mm. Take. Our responsibility, take it、uh, on our, upon ourselves to to really enact change. Thinking about enacting change and say, for example, from a policy point of view, top to down, I really like the point you mentioned that truth really helps. And when it comes to say policies that a government is bringing out, do you feel like they're are they mostly informed by facts and numbers that say they could get from working with scientists like you and your team,、mm-hmm. or is it something that's really could be there's Space for improvements. In terms of our interaction with the government, it's really limited. It's really、yeah. difficult、um, because politicians、yeah. and scientists don't go hand in hand. Yeah, like in a way, in a blunt way, like are like are people with like real power for change? Like they work in a government. Are they listening to scientists and people who who know what's up? Well, we have an election coming up in in Taiwan, and. I'm curious. Do you know the environmental policy of any presidential candidates? Just a little bit of, when it comes to like nuclear power and yeah. Yeah, but in terms of maybe marine debris, not so much. I would say not so much. In terms of green energy,、mm. it's it's a difficult one because it、yeah. doesn't really sell. What sells is money. What、yeah. we haven't kind of put together is that green energy makes money as well. You know, would you rather pay sky high bills or not?、Mm. <laughs> um, but our relationship with Politics is is really difficult. We、mm. are there to advise, especially at the t- National Academy. It's a、yeah. branch of the government. We're there to advise. How much advice is taken on board? It's not for me to to say or decide.、Mm. It's for for people to elect the right people who are going to make a change. We are, of course, in a difficult situation in Taiwan because we see ourselves as relatively small.、Uh, but I I would attach to it powerful. 
as well. Extremely powerful nation in terms of its people, its resilience. We have people from around the world wanting to learn from Taiwan on an array of things. Use that power, use that leverage uh, to enact change of other, other nations. I don't think a country has to be in the UN to to make positive change at all. Um, that's not to say Taiwan shouldn't be, but we already have a huge influence over the world. We need to start kind of influence our domestic policy on the environment. And I think it's, I would say that everybody, hopefully everybody knows that climate change is, is happening and mm. it's having a huge impact on so many, just everything in our lives. And I really wish more people know about this. And from articles that you shared with me actually earlier, I learned about a new term for me, it's called ecological grief. Mm. And I also know that it's also a relatively new term in the scientific fields. And could you talk a little bit more what ecological grief means? So first, two points in terms of climate change. Taiwan is feeling the brunt of climate change every single day. Um, I, I have a really good friend of mine um, who's around 80 years old. And um, on a side note, Talk to older generations about this. They will tell mm. you. Uh, I think they understand it a bit more than maybe younger generations. Uh, he told me in the 1950s, 60s, they would be turning their AC on once or twice a summer. I, well, I don't think we can walk into a room anymore without turning the AC mm. on. So that rapid increase in temperature yeah. should, is already very yeah, alarming. You would know it's really happening, yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's hugely alarming. So that's kind of the climate change. Yes, it's, it's happening. We're feeling it already. It's not really prediction-based anymore. We, we're, we're going more on observation and monitoring. Um, so in terms of ecological grief, it's this idea of, um, you know, especially for scientists, but also people who work in NGOs and conservation, um, how we feel going to see these environments affected or devastated mm. by, you know, natural dis disturbances, but also anthropogenic disturbances. And this kind of came around um, with me, a journalist in LA contacted me about the recent bleaching event um, mm. in, in Taiwan. Yeah. And really put it into perspective by asking the question, how did you feel rather than what did you see? And it kind of took me a moment. To, how did I feel? And it was sad because once you understand what these animals are in terms of corals and what you're seeing is that they are dying. Mm. You're just walking into a, a graveyard, a, a graveyard, basically. Yeah. So ecological grief is something I think now that everybody is feeling as well. It's not just scientists, mm, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. especially coverage in Taiwan is pretty good uh, in terms of the environment. Um, people see this and what we shouldn't do is get complacent to it. It should make us feel like that all the time. We should be upset. We should um, want to change this. Mm. Uh, and we can. We can change the trajectory of it if we really want to. And also a very recent hot debatable topic is recently Japan started releasing more than 1 million metric tons of treated radioactive water from the wrecked Fukushima nuclear power plant into the ocean. And I'm curious, what's the discussion like among your fellow researchers? And what are some facts you wish people know more of? Everything in the ocean is very sensitive to any type of change, just even half a degree. Um, of course, pumping things into the ocean is never a good thing. However, with the um, with the Japanese Fukushima plant, it's you know in terms of science, it's, it's safe. It's at the right the, the 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 safe levels of release. I'm not a nuclear scientist, but um, what what we've been talking about kind of in our lab um, is countries do all around the world release a lot higher levels um, of, of of this stuff, including Taiwan including China all, all the time. This is kind of where we shouldn't start to mix up the environment with kind of 
foreign relations uh, too too much. Uh, Japan is is a, a very key player in international politics it follows international law and i thoroughly believe they wouldn't have released this if it, if it wasn't safe for sure we have a <laughs> nuclear power plant in kanding um i've swam in the outlet um a lot mm-hmm. and this uh this chemical is released there as well and i'm not growing any legs or extra legs or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. that's fine um but what what we have to do is think about well should we be releasing this Anyway, you know, is there a better way? Uh, a lot of people in Taiwan are very pro-nuclear. A lot of people are against it as well. We need to come up with alternate solutions that don't have waste. Uh, wind energy, tidal energy, geothermal energy. They don't have a waste product. Uh, nuclear uh, is a source of clean energy to some extent, but that nuclear waste has to go somewhere. And mm-hmm. that's a, a controversial issue in Taiwan. And would you say that in general, all of the panicking that people are having mm. uh, in a way to put it it's like it doesn't it's not on like solid foundation it sounds very audacious yeah, you know because yeah. we think of it as it's going to start creating superhumans <laughs> mm. um but it's not like that this chemical is released all the time i can't remember the name it titrium something like that um but it's 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 safe it's fine uh don't 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 worry about it so much uh what protests in other countries shouldn't really affect us so much and also we need to really take a step back and think about the, the government would know that this was you know serious or not um do we trust our, our friends across um in in japan or not uh, would J- japan do this would the un be okay with it really take a step back and really think about it because what i would say is there are much much bigger threats to the ocean than mm. this uh this nuclear nuclear waste the japanese have waited a long time to do this they've followed all the procedures they've worked with on an international basis to to do what's right. Uh, But I think the important point is there are a lot bigger issues affecting the ocean uh, that that we should focus on, uh, for sure. You know, if we take a real step back in terms of the universe, and Professor Brian Cox speaks about this, and he says one of the reasons he's a kind of conservationist is uh, this is the only place we've known life on it. If we think about it like that in terms of the trillions of planets out there, that not that already a reason why we should try our best to protect it? And if that, if you're not on board with that, then it's very difficult to have a, a, a yeah. debate with anyone. So after we get over our Fukushima crisis, we should be really thinking about how can we improve on this? Um, mm. What can we replace nuclear with? Or how can we do nuclear in a cleaner way, a better way for, for, for the future? And to wrap up our interview, I'm really curious, since we talked a little bit about ecological grief, I'm curious from a mental health perspective, mm. you as a marine biologist, how do you stay hopeful? And especially messages that you'd like to share with the listeners. It's, it's a difficult one for sure. And um, having done a PhD, I can tell you, it gets pretty low. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I know. I, yeah. Whether it's, oh, it's an undergra- undergraduate, uh, <laughs> master's or PhD, it's, it's something which, you know, as scientists, and not not just scientists as well, historians or people in the arts, we're always trying to improve on our knowledge. And that's the kind of hope we get from it, that not about discovering new things and getting it out there, but discovering new things and making the world a kind of better place is, is a really good way to go about it. Um, having a strong support around you people, and, you know, it's kind of, we're kind of looking at marine biology because a lot of people are interested in it, even though they, oh, yeah. they don't have Some any... Some of the most passionate people I've ever so, talked to, pre- present company included, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... Um, family and friends uh, my wife constantly asks questions upon questions about it as well and it's good to talk about it in a 
non-scientific way because we're all part of it but i would really push people to email a scientist how do i get involved what what can i do mm. and talking about it will really help us and our understanding of it deepen as well and that's a that's a much better way to to communicate effectively mm. well i really hope that this conversation also gave you some smart <laughs> for sure definitely yeah. definitely so it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show really aziz and thank you so much for spending time here with us thank you very much thank you thank take you care.